Meanwhile, recorded live in the Lava Lamp Lounge, it's somewhere in between a radio zine. News, music, culture, stories, and more. This show is what we make of it, and hopefully you'll join us in the fun, too. Now let's get started. And welcome to Finally Taking a Much-Needed Stand. It's issue two. Our silence has been deafening. asked me when I was a teenager if I thought any of the events of 2020 would happen, I would probably have laughed at you. And I probably would have had some derisive comment to make about how this old person was harassing me with some sort of stupid question. Because that's the kind of teenager I was back then, and more importantly, I was the kind of teen that didn't have any respect for authority. I actually wrestled with the uh, idea of putting this episode first uh, because of the magic of radio. These are all recorded way out of sequence, way out of time, and it's a bit of what John Syracuse and Merlin Mann would refer to as the pre-taped call-in show problem. Look, if you wanted to talk about pet care, you should have called two weeks ago when our show on racism was airing. Okay, I'm doing a show about the elderly right now, which of course, to you people watching means calling about cooking. When you are hearing this, it's actually weeks after it's been made, and therein lies the problem. So I actually had a whole other show planned for issue two, which you would be hearing instead of this, but with the way the world has been kind of turning I don't think it is actually the right thing to do for me to not say anything at this time. I think a lot of us are going through that. A lot of people are making the point that uh, silence is actually saying a lot more than you think, and I happen to agree. When it comes to the current uh, situation uh, in the world, uh, I fully support Black Lives Matter. I fully support Antifa. I fully support the idea that there are people right now who are underrepresented, who do not feel like the world around them has any kind of reflection of their own interests in it, and they want to make a change. And, uh, you know, I, I wish that I could have had this program land much, much sooner, because I think that uh, I should be saying this in step with the cause. Not that the cause has stopped or anything. I mean, this is going to continue until, well, until there's no one left. It shouldn't be particularly unusual for me to want to lend my voice to this cause. And it shouldn't be particularly unusual for me to want to say things like defund the police. Or to say things like, I can't actually think of anything good that they have done in this world when I look at all of the bad that they actually do. I can't think of anything that I would like more in my lifetime than to see the world change for the better. 
And so I have an open invitation for anyone to please help tap me and use this platform to spread your message. We have a voice here that we can use to say so much. And so often it's all about me. And this time it is anything but about me. So please contact us. Let's tell your story. Let's hear your side. Let's make this radio zine a real community effort. Let's hear the songs that are relevant to you and your causes before it's too late and we can't. One fine morning I woke up early Bella Chow, Bella Chow, Bella Chow One fine morning I woke up early to find the fashions at my door It's not just that music has become more important to us due to our current political and social environment that we're living in, but there's actually something happening with certain songs that become parts of our lives and then through strange turns of circumstance, we actually end up acting them out to some degree. Little did I know that this was going to happen to my friend Obadiah uh, here in Salem. How did you first discover the song that we're talking about? So there's this song, it's called Bella Ciao, and it's a traditional like anti-fascist Italian folk song in the 1940s when, um, when you know, the fascists were running Italy, when Mussolini had taken power, and then Italian like anti-fascist fighters were fighting uh, the forces of Mussolini and then Hitler. The song Bella Ciao was actually a song prior to that about um, the trials and tribulations and struggles of working in Italian rice fields. So it was a worker's song first and had a different set of lyrics and then was reworked by the anti-fascist fighters uh, during that time period. If I die, the partigiano Bella ciao, bella ciao, goodbye beautiful, bury me upon that mountain beneath the shadow of the flower. I had heard it years ago, but the kind of traditional version of it is very, like, up-tempo and kind of um the chorus goes it's like very staccato it's like um it goes bella ciao bella ciao bella ciao 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 like and i wish that i had some great story about uh you know how i came across the version that i've kind of like adapted but the truth of the matter is tom waits did a version mm-hmm. of the song uh mark Rabot did an album and uh, most of the songs on it were collaborations with other people, and he did a track with um, Tom Waits, and it was that song. You know, as Tom Waits does, he makes it sort of sad and emotional and, like, very, like... And uh, so that's the version that really, like, I kind of, kind of adapted to my own style. Of course, all of this was 
almost a year ago, before the pandemic had set in, before all of us had spent months in isolation, before we found new ways to deal with our livelihood and uh, interact with the world. And of course, well before George Floyd was in the news. In the time that the pandemic kind of set in, Obadiah had changed his lifestyle quite dramatically from being a bookseller here in town. Uh, He had kind of turned into this punk rock delivery gentleman where he was driving a van around, listening to Crimp Shrine and uh, taking books to people's houses. Even in the middle of a crisis, we all need to read. But, you know, as this unfolded and, well, suddenly everything shifted to protests, the world here in Salem began to change. In the last few weeks, this has become like a very real situation where there are fascists in the streets of Salem that were really scary. (laughs) Well, so we, we had heard on the news, you know, just about windows getting smashed in Portland and, you know, as business owners, you know, we just decided that we would go down to our store and that we would be there and that we would be present. And, you know, our thinking initially was, you know, if something's going to happen, we want to be there. We want to know, and we want to have an opportunity to like maybe interact with people and, you know, defuse a situation if there's going to be one. You know, I spent a lot of time sitting out in front of the store and just playing guitar. And, you know, a lot of the time the protests or the action, like you could hear off in the distance, the sound of like um, flashbangs or tear gas exploding or, you know, like there was definitely stuff going on. You could hear it like blocks away. Right. And, you know, and it wasn't that far away, but a lot of the time where we were at was just kind of this, mm-hmm. you know, dead zone. There's a photograph of Obadiah and Kat from the nights in question outside of the book bin. And it's a kind of haunting picture. The signs lit up. You can see the store, all with like the windows and the lights and whatnot. But there's no customers. Instead, you just see Kat and Obadiah in front. Kat's sort of leaning against one of the edges of the window, wearing a mask. And Obadiah is sitting in a chair, holding a guitar, masked. I mean, he's just playing, just sitting there, thinking. While protesters are clashing with police a couple blocks over, they're trying to make the most of it, trying to figure out how the night's going to turn out. There was very little, like almost nothing happened downtown around us for a long time until like around... 11.30, I think. And then uh, some people who got pushed out again from the Capitol area were coming towards us. And a truck or a car up by the bus mall got smashed up. I could see people smashing the windows out. Hmm. There were crowds of people like running by and some, some trash cans got thrown into the street. And um, they all seemed like they were at most college students. You right. Know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and a lot of them seemed like teenagers to me. A young gentleman with tattoos and a hoodie came over to Obadiah and Kat, flashing a phone saying that he had video of those who were responsible for the car getting smashed and was pointing at various kids who were running past saying, oh, they did it, they did it, they did it. 
But eventually, this kid wandered off. Oh, quite some time later, maybe like an hour later, this young uh, Hispanic kid, you know, again, seemed like a teenager, came up and uh, was talking to Cat, you know, kind of explaining why they were out protesting, you know. Hmm. I remember his, his nose was broken. Oh, no. Yeah, his nose was all crooked and like, so we're standing there and, you know, he's talking to Cat and the kid from earlier who had said that he had video and hums up and he points at him and he says, he's one of the people, you know, who smashed up that car. And then right behind him were two armed white guys. The older of the two, he was this older guy with like a white beard, walked up and he pulled out a pair of handcuffs. Whoa. And he looks at the kid and he says, I'm arresting you. Cat heard him say that he was going to place him under citizen's arrest. All I heard was that he was going to arrest him. Right. I looked at him and I just, you know, I said, you're not a cop. You don't get to do that. Mm-hmm. The kid seemed kind of scared, which makes sense. I mean, he has an armed guy trying to tell him that he's going to handcuff him. And he, he was saying, are you really going to do this to the guy? And like, there was kind of this moment of confrontation and my wife Kat, who I think is incredibly brave, asked him if she if he wanted her to stand with him and basically just stepped between him and the guy with the gun. And when uh, my wife stepped in between him and the guy with the gun, he looked right at her and said, you are entering the line of fire. Wow. <laughs> That's yeah. a weird kind of threat to give to anyone under any circumstance. Well, I mean, basically what he's saying is I'm prepared to shoot this unarmed Hispanic teenager. Right. And 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 your wife as a result. Yeah, which is just total insanity. Yeah. I also stepped forward and at that point, you know, there was a crowd of other people there too like once people were like stepping between them there were probably like five or six folks. Mm. And when the police showed up, she interacted with them, did a great job of basically just telling the police, this guy threatened me. She refused to let it be about anything the kid might have done. Like, as far as she was concerned, the issue was the armed guy on the street with a gun in front of her business. Yeah. And basically, the police said that they couldn't do anything and told everybody to disperse. This is when the story takes a slightly national turn, as many of you may know, from a little social media clip that has been getting a lot of attention. Citywide curfew shutdown so we can arrest anybody who's walking around. My command wanted me to come talk to you guys and request that you guys secrete either inside the business or in your vehicle somewhere where it's not a violation so we don't look like we're playing favorites. Regardless of how this message was meant to be taken by anyone who heard it, it seems very clear here that the police and the militiamen that were in operation in Salem that evening were working a little bit in concert. Various businesses downtown had had armed militia people out front of them. You know, Glamour Salon being the most notable, but there were a number just right around the corner from us. Right. They were not standing, just standing guard. They Mm -hmm. were actively out and about downtown. At one point... Earlier in the night, the same night that this incident I'm talking about was happening, uh, we saw a group of guys, one of whom was just 
carrying a pistol in his hand. Not even, you know. Out in the open. <laughs> just walk past the Gov Cup. Wow. So, I mean, yeah, there were, pe- there were armed people all over the place. Now, this is where I have to admit something that makes me very uncomfortable. I was actually shocked a little bit by this story. And that comes from my position of privilege, unfortunately. I'm in a position where I don't encounter this kind of thing on a regular basis. So, to me, it might seem shocking. The more I've reflected on this, the more I feel like I have to preface any conversation I have about it with. I found myself in a very scary situation, and one that was surprising to me. Mm. And I think a lot of that I have to recognize is because of privilege. There are people who don't find the chance of being confronted by, you know, armed white supremacy to be surprising. It's something that they know they have to be on the lookout for. And, like, I just feel like if I'm going to talk about this stuff, like, I I do need to, like, acknowledge a certain amount of privilege on my part that is why it feels so shocking. Like, I think there are people who... I think there are people who are not shocked by it, you know. It's hard to go through a situation like that and not come out the other side having been affected in some way. You know, for somebody who had been playing that song, who had been thinking about this idea of a metaphoric encounter with fascists, and then to have it actually play out in front of you is pretty disconcerting. But for some reason... The song is still something that Obadiah is fond of and thinks about quite a bit. I did play that song probably at least a couple of times every night that I was down there. I don't know. It's interesting because I think I kind of felt like the fascists were at my door already anyways before this. There's obviously this event that happened that is like this very obvious kind of like one-to-one correlation, you know. Mm -hmm. But I'm not sure that that's the most useful way of thinking about it. I think finding yourself in a country <laughs> that, mm-hmm. and and part of like looking around and seeing this fascism, I think, requires you to look backwards and look at the ways that it's always been there. There's this thread. I mean. It's basically a political murder ballad. Yeah. If you listen to the song, the lyrics are talking about how I woke up one fine morning to find the fascists at my door. And then from that point on, the whole song is about going to their death. Like, the song isn't saying, I woke up one fine morning to find the fascists at my door. Now I'm going to go kick their ass and we're going to take our country back and everything's going to be fine. Right, right. The song is about how, like... There's a maudlin. I know I'm going to die. I know that this choice is going to mean my destruction. And, like, just make sure it means something. This is the flower of the partisan. Bella ciao, bella ciao, bella ciao, bella. Is the flower of the partisan who died for freedom. Is the flower of the partisan who died for freedom.
The book bin is still open in spite of everything that's been happening lately, and you can still get books delivered to your home by Obadiah as he listens to more Crimp Shrine. So please visit bookbin.com to find out more information about when they're available, how you can get books, and you can also schedule browsing appointments. Just please wear a mask. guiding principles of our radio zine was this notion of a uh, public interaction, uh, an open submission policy, something that we could use to make the point that this is not just a simple me, 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 me kind of publication, but that we wanted to get at something more. And uh, with that in mind, I'm very excited to read to you our very first submission. This is by Sean Derek Cooper Marquart. And this is entitled Short Poem About When the Spirit Leaves the Body. From where you appeared in the present, intensive and sensitive, delirious, fingers leaking through the cracks, contained in glass ceilings, pointed south towards the innocent beginnings. The miraculous expressions made upon the waters, drank by cut tongues, raised into their mouths. Sean Derek Cooper Marquart is a musician, a poet, writer, artist, and generally beautiful person. And I really recommend you check out his work. It's very moving and beautiful, and I think it, it really speaks for itself, actually. It's kind of hard for <laughs> me to put it into words. Why don't I just say that uh, it was an honor to read one of his poems, and uh, I look forward to getting more submissions for our radio zine. Clowden is an artist and a poet who lives in Eugene, Oregon, and quite often takes an ecological stance in her work. Here's something that she wrote and performed specifically for this program. Arisen by Ellen Clowden. How has community arisen? What is it like in your dreams? Explore what you're for, share your visions for life beyond divisive racist schemes, inculcation, institutions, violence, poisoned roots, branches of devastation, bearing strange fruits, Chop them down, replace them with autonomous zones. Think outside the box, make communities our own. All with voice, all with choice, all encouraged, welcomed, rejoiced. Those who've been privileged stepping aside, listening and learning, eyes open wide. Those who oppose, who chose to misalign, who collude with violence, it's no longer your time. Never should have been, never will be again. Statues torn down, police to be defunded. You bought into oppression, that's your loss. Won't be refunded. Community begins where oppression ends. If you're here to rebuild, we're community. We're friends. And that's going to do it for us this week here on the program, somewhere in between a radio zine. Our silence has been deafening. Issue 2 contains stories written by Austin Rich, Sean Derek Cooper Marquardt, 
and Ellen Cloudon, including Silence is Saying a Lot More Than You Think, One Night in Downtown Salem, Short Poem About When the Spirit Leaves the Body, and Arisen. This episode was produced by Austin Rich in the Lava Lamp Lounge and was assembled using only the finest in 20th century technology. In the long-standing tradition of most zines, there is an open submission policy here. If you have a story that you'd like to send in, read, or just be a part of the show, why not drop a line to austinrich at gmail.com? That's going to do it for us this week. You guys are wonderful. You guys are beautiful. And without you, there would be no program. Be seeing you. Sun.